0: of the first eight games in this premier league season have already taken place and it appears i am already guilty of overrating some teams underrating others and maybe not being very good at predictions uh, welcome to the two-footed podcast we're brought to you by eplindex.com and of course liberty shield.com a vpn provider check out liberty shield for all your vpn needs now Uh, It's been a pretty hectic weekend of Premier League football, but it's not yet over. We do still have two games left to take place. We have Sheffield United against Wolves at 6pm today and Brighton against Chelsea at quarter past eight. Those will be two exciting games, but there's already been plenty of excitement this weekend. The games kicked off with Fulham against Arsenal. And there's two ways to look at this. Number one, Arsenal were good. There's no way around that. Arsenal were good. couple of defensive lapses early. Settled down. Played great football. Created chances. Aubameyang looks lethal. Absolutely lethal already at this early point in the season. I thought his goal was magnificent. I thought his all-round play was excellent. He just looked like he's on a different level again this season. He is going to be a problem for absolutely everybody. But for Fulham, their problems run deep. That is not a Premier League team. I didn't understand the decision to leave Mitrovic out of the starting eleven. He comes on well into the second half and immediately starts causing Arsenal problems. I think Scott Parker's made a massive mistake In not starting him in this game. Because you could see from early. That Gabriel looked nervous. And he made a couple of poor errors. In the first 15 to 20 minutes. Then he settled down. And he had a good game. The goal goal he got really helped him. Once he got the goal. You could see the confidence just flowing through him. But early on. Gabriel was not playing well. And Mitrovic I think could have taken advantage of that. It was a really strange decision from Parker. I'm not sure what he was thinking but the team he set up was a championship level team it, it it's that simple dennis adoy is not a premier league footballer he's a hard worker he's an honest pro but we saw him the last time they were in the premier league he was a complete liability he got exposed time and time and time again in this game the center back pairing nobody should be confident about that as your premier league center back pairing I thought Brian at left back had a solid game. Dealt well with Willian at times. Willian's movement makes him very hard to pick up. I thought Brian did okay. Their midfield pairing was was fine, and you know they worked hard and they matched with the Arsenal pair quite well. But the three behind the one, and particularly that one up front, Kamara. He's a he's a better wide player than he is front player. Cavaliero and Cabano, they really struggled to have any involvement in the game. I think they have at least three or four more needs in that team. I really do. I i, I had said, just get more goals. Get more goals in the team. But they need to address the central defence vision. They, they do have an upgrade at goalkeeper already sorted out with Ariola brought in from... PSG, so he'll be an upgrade at goalkeeper. But goalkeeper wasn't really the problem. The two centre backs, I would argue, neither of them are good enough. They will argue they are, but I, they'll probably need to buy at least one. They need to get more creative out wide, and they need to get another goal scorer in the team. I have big concerns about Fulham. I already uh, picked them to go down as you know twentieth out of twenty. It's going to be a very tough season. They offered so little in that game. There was no fight. I didn't see a team with any confidence coming up into the Premier League. I didn't see a team that looked like they were going to cause others problems. I saw a team that turned up. Things went bad early, and they rolled over. The Lacazette goal is, you know, it's it's not a nice goal to concede. It's poor defending. It's scrappy. It's messy from there it was game over. Fulham never really showed up. Couple of little flashes of of quality here and there. When Mitrovic came on yeah, he looked like he could do something. He looked like he could he could trouble them. But other than that, very very disappointed with Fulham on the opening day. I I really think they're in for a long long hard season. Um, Crystal Palace were better than I expected, and a large portion of that is down to the fact that Wilf Zaha looks absolutely inspired. He looks like a guy on an, on a mission this season. He could have had a hat trick, probably should have had a hat trick. Tore Southampton apart every time he got the ball. Easy came off the bench. I thought he looked good in his limited minutes showed the talent that's brought him to the dance. Um, Milojojevic didn't start. That was a weird one for me, but it shows the depth that they do have. I thought the 4-4-2 from Roy was interesting uh, to go with Townsend one side and Jeff Jeff Schlupp on the other and then play Zaha and A.U. up front. So I wonder what he's going to do when he gets Batshuayi and Easy into the team. You'd imagine Easy just comes in for Schlupp. But who does Batshuayi come in for? Does he come in for A.U.? Or does he come in for Andros Townsend with Zaha moving out to the right wing? It's a big choice for Roy to make because both of them offer something different. If he comes in for Townsend and Zaha or AU move out to the right, then they're going to be much more attacking than we've ever really seen a Hodgson team be. Um, young Mitchell at left back I thought was very impressive. He's the left back I was trying to think of the name of last week. He's another really good young player that they have there. When Ferguson is fully fit, and in the team, they'll have two really good young left uh, young full-backs. Obviously, you'd expect Van Aanholt to come back in and be first choice at left-back when he's fit, but it's really good for Palace to have a good back up there, um, someone with the potential to to become a starter long-term. You still look at the Palace team and think there's definitely a couple of needs. Um they could probably do it with a body in center, in central defence, as I've said, get someone younger in, someone with a bit of a a good fitness record, because that's Palace's issue with centre back. Older centre backs have suffered injuries. Scott Dance had injuries, James Tompkins' had injuries, Martin Kelly's had a lot of injuries over his career. Mohamed Ma- Osako is their best centre back, and he just can't stay fit. And Gary Cahill's thirty-five now, thirty-six maybe. At his age, he's going to pick up more injuries. He's not been an injury-prone player through his career. A couple of injuries, but nothing nothing consistent. So you'd hope that he'll stay fit. But at his age, he's now going to be more prone to that. Um, I thought their goalkeeper, Guaita, made two tremendous saves. Tremendous saves. The one from Che Adams is the save of the weekend. That is an incredible save. Adams strikes that ball full force from about nine yards out. It's not an easy save by any means. It's down low. It's close to him as well. It's incredible reflexes. Gets down strong hand and gets that ball clear as well. Doesn't palm it back into a dangerous area. Gets it clear. It's a, a brilliant save. And the three points was no less than they deserved. I thought Palace deserved to, to win here. Southampton showed some signs. There were some good moments for them. I think they're their limitations in attack were highlighted though um as i've said i think they need to get you know two attackers in a striker a striker to go alongside Danny Ings i think would be really important if they can get someone else in it doesn't necessarily have to be ovings as level but someone with the potential to get to that level and then chay adams becomes your third striker and i'd really like to see them upgrade in the the two behind so Redmond and Smallbone played there. Redmond is a, is a good player who's maybe a little bit past his best. Smallbone's a young player who could develop into a, a, a quality player, but we don't know yet. They do have Musa Genepo who can play there. They do have Armstrong who can play there. Armstrong will probably come back in for Smallbone when he's fully fit. But Genepo needs to be starting, and I think they need one more in that role. I like the defense. If they don't get someone to go alongside Genepo, they need someone in central midfield. The midfield four needs upgrading, even with Genepo coming in. An upgrade on Romeo would be ideal um, to go with Ward-Prowse. And Ward-Prowse is a versatile player, so you can play a couple of different types next to him. I'd just like to mention the referee in this game. Um, I thought it was a really, really positive sign For the Premier League, that the referee was willing to go and look at the red card and then admit that he was wrong. He made a rash decision to give him a red, went and looked at the monitor, came back, admitted he was wrong. That's a massive step forward for VAR. That's what needs to happen for VAR to work. In the Premier League. Because last season one of the biggest problems was. Referees being too proud. And the VAR themselves. Not being willing to rule against one of their friends. Simple as that. Unless VAR is going to, work, uh, going to be an independent process. An independent group. It's still unlikely to work properly. I don't like the idea that it's just other referees being the VAR. Ideally, I would like to see a centralized location with a group of... It could be ex-referees from different leagues, from international leagues, brought in, and they review things from a centralized location. The same thing happens in the NHL. It's all done from a centralized location. I don't see why we couldn't have that in the Premier League. I think there's too much of the old boys club with the current setup that guys are just afraid to overrule their friends. Simple as that. Or maybe it's a younger referee who's afraid to overrule a more senior referee. They don't want to make them look bad. But I thought this was a big step forward for a referee to go and check the pitch side monitor, which is a great addition, and then reverse his own decision. That's a big, big step forward, and congratulations to him for that. And congratulations to Palace for a really good opening day win. As I've said, I think they'll be a bit more exciting this year. I think they're going to be a bit better this year than what we've we've come to expect from Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. Uh, Liverpool against uh, Leeds was the next game up. And I think Leeds came out of this game with a lot of credit. I thought they were really brave. I thought they were really smart, really well-drilled, really well-organised, played good football, had the majority of possession. Now There's a couple of ways you can look at this. You can point to Liverpool requiring two penalties to beat them. On the flip side, they're both... Stonewall penalties. There can be no debate over either penalty. There just can't be. These are not questionable penalties at all. These are stonewall nailed on penalties. Liverpool also missed two great chances. From missed a great chance. Ginny Wijnaldum missed a great chance. They had a goal disallowed by Virgil van Dyck, um, because Robin Cock fell over his own feet. We got no re- replay of that from VHR from, from VAR. No replay of that, which is disappointing and strange that the game wasn't stopped for a review because it was a a dead ball situation. Ball is in the net. Stop the game, have the review. We got no review. We got no announcement of a, of a, a review either, so it doesn't appear like one took place. So Liverpool could, in theory, have scored six or seven. And on the flip side, they gave... Leads two of their goals. They absolutely gifted them two of their goals. I'd argue they gifted them all three of their goals. For the first goal, Firmino should be pressing Calvin Phillips. It doesn't Trent Alexander-Arnold gets easily too easily beaten by Harrison? Joe Gomez commits too early. The holding midfielder is not back in position. It's bad defending. Now it is a very very good goal, and you have to give Harrison an awful lot of credit. His first touch is incredible, his second touch is even better. Beats Gomez with a lovely body feint and it's a great finish. But Liverpool should be doing better on that. The second goal, no pressure in midfield, Henderson's out of position, doesn't get back in position quick enough. It's a hopeful ball over the top and it's just it's far too lazy from Virgil van Dijk. This is the man who is the best central defender in the world. There can be no debate that he is the best central defender in the world and has been for a number of years now. But these type of errors have just slipped into his game a little bit too much. I say a little bit too much. It's happened twice basically uh, at Arsenal late last season and this game here. So it has happened twice. But it is just a little bit of complacency from him that you, you don't really expect. He's normally so laser focused. So sharp. In this game he didn't look he didn't look interested. He looked disconnected from what was going on. Um but a, a big, big mistake. Patrick Bamford, good finish, but it should never have come to that. And then their third goal, Ginny Winealdum and Curtis Jones just stand about watching Camille Glick run into space and neither of them close him. It's a great finish. Really disguises it really well. Shoots around uh, the players, blocking Alison Becker's view. But Liverpool should be doing better on all three goals. Now you can argue Leeds should be doing better on the goals they concede as well. Um, but Liverpool were the better team in this game. I will say Leeds showed no fear, and that was great to see. They will they will go to every game this season and expect to win because that's the mindset they have. That's the mindset of their manager. And that's what I wanted to see Fulham do. Fulham were at home. I wanted to see see Fulham turn up and play like they belonged. And they didn't. Fulham turned up and played like they were glad to be there. Leeds turned up and played like Liverpool should be glad to be there. Leeds didn't care who Liverpool were. They played their game, thought Calvin Phillips was excellent, Harrison was good, Bamford caused Liverpool problems. Um thought the defense had some shaky moments, but obviously it's not a full strength defense for leads. Uh Struick, the young centre back, looks promising, but just at the moment, probably not quite ready yet to play heavy minutes. Um I would be confident if I was Leeds. You know, I would be really confident because they're going to sign a couple more. They had Rodrigo come on off the bench. Um, Tyler Adams came on off the bench. I will say as well, uh, very ambitious haircuts on behalf of Leeds. I think I counted six man buns. It's good to see. It's a modern world. It's a new era of the Premier League. Uh, It's good to see Leeds embrace that. Your da... A contingent of Premier League fans, probably not as impressed. The gammon, the Brexit, probably not as impressed. But uh, I like that. I like to see players just express themselves, in, you know, in whatever way they want. If you want to have a certain haircut, have that haircut. Why not? It's your hair, it's not anybody else's. I hate this idea that players should just be as we expect them to be, live in little boxes. It, it, it's not something that I, I would uh, subscribe to final game on Saturday West Ham played host to Newcastle now I had said I expected a draw but West Ham were much much worse than I thought they were going to be much much, much worse oh, oh that's the worst performance of the weekend and You can you can argue it whatever way you want that is the worst performance of the weekend they were shambolic. Lost in defense. Shapeless in midfield. Pointless in attack. David Moyes has so much work to do. Much of it his own making. He leaves out. Felipe Anderson. He leaves out Sebastian Haller. He plays Mark Noble as a 10. And sticks Pablo Fernales in the left wing. Both of them have stinkers. He sticks with a back four that just doesn't work. Particularly the fullbacks. I think the two centre-backs would work if they had good fullbacks. But they don't have good fullbacks. Worst fullback situation in the league. And you look at it and they still haven't moved for anybody. Now David Ornstein has a report this morning that they're looking at Emerson Palmieri. Now that's got to be a loan because there's no way they can afford him. But he's not a good defender either. He's a wing-back. He belongs in a back three as a wing-back in a three. He's not a full-back in a four. So whoever's looking at these players for West Ham is an idiot. Fulham just signed three back, th- uh, sorry, full-backs for a total of six million, all of whom would improve West Ham. Every single one of them would improve West Ham. Anthony Robinson would walk into West Ham day one and be the best left back there. Kenny Tete is a Dutch international; he's far better than any right back there. Ola Aina can play both sides; he's better than both than any full back at West Ham. Oh, but they're looking at Emerson Palmieri. Why? Have you not watched him play for Chelsea in a four? I've been hopeless. And the problem for West Ham as well is that no matter who they play on the left, be it Fornals, be it Felipe Anderson, they're not getting a whole lot of tracking back. So you need someone who, as a fundamental characteristic of their game, can defend. Emerson Palmieri couldn't defend himself. West Ham are lost. They're in major trouble they need three really good additions or they're they're dead before they start credit to Newcastle i thought they looked balanced i thought they looked really well prepared they had a real idea of what they wanted to be i like the 442 shape i thought I thought the back four functioned well. Manquillo and Lewis as fullbacks, Sort of alternating how they attacked as well. If one went, the other would stay and vice versa. Um, the midfield was good. I thought Isaac Hayden had a really good game. He's a good player. He's an underrated player. And they got him signed to a new contract recently. So they should be very, very happy. Um, I thought the cause. Jeff Hendrick had a a really good game. An assist and a goal. Really promising start for him. Really good start for Callum Wilson to get a goal on his debut. It's a a good finish. It's a poacher's goal. He's the type of striker that relies on confidence to get goals. He'll always give you everything else. He'll give you his his work rate. He'll give you his running the channels. He'll give you his hold-up play. That'll all be there no matter what. But when he's got confidence, he's a goal threat. And Newcastle need him to be a goal threat because there's not a whole lot of goals in the team. St. So was not a big goal scorer. Almiron's not a big goal scorer. Andy Carroll's not a big goal scorer anymore either. And I thought Carroll played quite well. Had a couple of lovely moments. One lovely control in his chest. Looped it over a defender. Disappointing finish. But it was a, it's a good sign for Newcastle that Andy Carroll is at least showing a little bit of life. Because... Wilson, Jolington, there's two strikers. If, he, if they have him, at least they have a third body to throw up problems. Um, I'd quite like to see Jolington come into that mix, that shape, um, instead of Carroll. Now, it's a question of where, where you fit Almiron in. But I, I was very, very enthused by what I saw from Newcastle. I thought this was the the best Newcastle I've seen in, in a little while. Um, I do want to just take a little sidetrack here and talk about something um, that took place on on the radio. Um, so Simon Jordan was on uh, a national talk radio station and was criticizing Ryan Fraser. now i I agreed with most of what he had to say. I thought he went a little bit overboard. Um, But I thought his, his points were valid in terms of Fraser's behavior last season, his actions last season, his lack of performance when he played, and then some of the strange comments he's made since leaving Bournemouth. I thought Simon Jordan was on point, but I love Steve Bruce calling the same radio show the next day. And standing up for his player. I love that. Even though I agreed with the comments. I love to see a manager publicly come out like that. And stand up for a player. Because. That will get Frazier completely onside. There was some talk that Frazier was a little bit hesitant. About the Newcastle move. He'll have no doubts now that he's made the right decision. And while. I wouldn't be a huge fan of Steve Bruce as a manager. I've always felt he seems like a very good man. And I think he's probably a really good man-manager. I would imagine his players are very, very fond of him. I've never heard a player that's played under Bruce come out and say anything negative about him. I thought it was really good for him to just step forward and say, look, you know what? I'm going to back my player. You need to listen to what he has to say. He was there. He knows what happened. I'm sure he does know what happened. What happened? whether he's telling the truth or not, or he's just got a different viewpoint, that's a different thing. But I just thought it was really good to see Bruce come in straight away early and back the player. Because too often we see managers throw players under the bus. And too often we see managers not being willing to go to bat when their players are facing public criticism. And I'll come on to a bit more of that later. Um, But I was just really enthused by what Bruce did Big weekend for Newcastle Great to get three points on the board early Um, They may be better than I thought they were Truth be told, they may be better than I thought they were Uh, Speaking of someone who's worse than I thought they were Is West Brom If Fulham have a lot of work to do, then so do West Brom This was the epitome of rolling over uh, And offering Little or nothing. 35% possession at home. One shot on target. Just not at the races. Not posing a threat to, to Leicester. I, I didn't even think Leicester played all that well. I thought they had some moments where they looked really good. Uh, it's big for Castney to get a goal in his debut. Vardy gets off the mark. Two penalties. Um, I thought... Harvey Barnes showed moments of being back to the form he showed in the first half of last season. I thought Dennis Pratt had a couple of good moments. And I thought it was impressive that they kind of patched together a defense. Uh, Wilf and Didi had to play at center back. Uh, Cassidy played right back and James Justin played out of, out of position at left back. So they patched that together. But West, West Brom offered nothing. They offered nothing. Um you are not going to win games with Robinson up front by himself in the premier league. It's just not going to happen. Not unless you've got a couple of 20 goal a season wingers in midfield. And they don't as good as Pereira and Dean are. They're not 20 goal a season players. They might get you 10 each, but they won't get you 20. They're not massive goal scorers. Robinson's not a goal scorer. He's a facilitator. And when you've got Sayers and Livermore in midfield, in the central midfield, you're not getting goals from there either. Um, In truth, I thought they needed one at the back and a goal scorer. In reality, they probably need three at the back and a goal scorer, if I'm being honest. I think they need three at the back and a goal scorer. Their defense was absolutely shocking. They looked like they hadn't played together before. The the defending on the first goal is bad enough. The two penalties they gave away Slaven Bilic needs to be hauling in Kyle Bartley and fining finding him a week's wages for that penalty. That is just, that's Sunday league defending. It's not even Sunday league. I, won't even, I wouldn't even offend Sunday league defenders by saying that that's their standard. They're better than that. That is shocking at this level. And he's a good player. He's not, it's not like he's a bad defender. He's a good player. The second penalty is just a brainless moment. James Justin is going away from goal. He's heading for the corner flag, if anything. And it's just a stupid, lazy foot that comes out and sweeps his legs. I don't know if the, he might have known he was there. That's the, the lack of awareness. No, co- no conversation. No communication between the defenders. You can see it all game. because Because there's no fans, you can hear players talking to each other. You couldn't hear the West, Ham, the West Brom defenders. Couldn't hear them. They're going to have a tough season as well. I, I, I really like my three that I picked to go down now. I think, I, I think I've got those. As things stand, I, I don't see any reason to doubt any of them. Fulham, awful. West Brom, awful. West Ham, awful. All three have had dreadful starts to the season. All three have massive work to do. I thought West Brom were the one that could possibly get out of it because I think they've got the best manager. I think they've got maybe the best spirit, but th- that was lacking at the weekend. Um, I, I think all three, I, I think I'm going to get those right. Um, In terms of getting things right, on Saturday I made the following predictions. Uh, Arsenal to win 3-1 over Fulham. They won 3-0, but I'll take that. Crystal Palace... Um, 1-1 with Southampton Palace obviously 1-1-0 I had Liverpool beating Leeds 2-1 It was a much more entertaining game than that 4-3 I thought West Ham would at least get themselves a point at home I think they're screwed now Because they've their next run of games is absolutely horrendous I had that as a 1-0 As it turned out uh, Newcastle won 2-0 And I had West Brom winning 2-1 And nothing of the sort happened there was three goals in it, but they all went to Leicester. Um, again, two nailed-on penalties, not penalties you can dispute, and maybe, maybe just maybe, Brendan has has gotten things right with them. Now they're going to have tougher t- tougher tests. That game's not a reflection of anything. West Brom we're not at the races. It's it's a very easy win for Leicester. But congratulations to them. It's a good three points. Gets them right up the top of the table after the first game. Uh, second after Arsenal, of course. And then the final game of the weekend. This is. Fulham were bad, but I expected. Ful- like, I don't expect much from Fulham this season. West Ham were bad. I don't expect much from them this season. And West Brom were bad. But again, I'm not expecting a whole lot from them this season. It's two newly promoted teams and one team with appalling owners, a fractured dressing room no new incomings on their, I think, fifth manager in the last four years. I don't expect a whole lot from West West Ham. I expect a lot from Spurs, though. I really do expect a lot from Spurs. And that performance at the weekend would already have me raising questions about Mourinho's Capabilities at this point. Now it's only a one-nil defeat, and that's fine. But Richarlison should have should have squared up to Calvert-Lewin for another goal. So it should have been two. Now you can argue that Pickford made two good saves, and he did. He made two good saves, one from Daliielli, one from uh, from Matt Doherty. But Spurs were dreadful. Everton played well. They weren't great, but they played well. Spurs were terrible. They looked completely shorn of any sort of creative notion. Now, admittedly, Nola Salsa there, he's probably the most naturally creative player since Ericsson left. But first and foremost, I don't understand Mourinho's obsession with Eric Dyer. I really don't know what that's about. He tried to buy him when he was at United for 40 million. Now Spurs made a massive mistake in turning that down. Dyer's a solid player, but 40 million for him? He's slow, he's ponderous. He's barely played centre-back in his career at the senior level. Certainly since moving to Spurs, he's played largely as a holding midfielder. When he has played at the back, he's played largely in a three. And I suppose looking at it, with Doherty just given free, free reign to bomb forward, the idea probably was that Aldoverall steps across and Dyer plays the middle of a three with Davies tucking in. However, Toby Aldevar looked... Incredibly slow in that game. He looked like he's aged a little bit more than we would have expected. Um, Doherty, I said as soon as they signed him, I don't like this signing. He's a wing back, not a full back. He can't defend. And that was proven through over and over and over again. Richarlison had him on toast. 10 attempted take ons, 10 successful take ons. Didn't even have to take him on most of the time. Just went and stood where Doherty was meant to be. Stood in the right back spot. Doherty was 15 yards too far up the field with no idea of where he was meant to be. And Richarlison just had a field day. He was the best player on the pitch by a country mile. Spurs looked, looked lost. They They looked like they had no purpose. They didn't look like they had a real plan of how to create anything. They were trying to use the pace of Lucas and Son uh, to get in behind the fullbacks and maybe get cutbacks for Kane and Delhi. but it didn't work. I don't know why you'd start Lucas Mora over Stephen Bergvine. I don't know why when you're pulling Dele Ali off at halftime, and I assume, I assume it was because he was injured. Because even though he wasn't playing well, he wasn't your worst player. But I assume it was because he was injured. The decision to bring on Musa Sissoko at that point is unforgivable. That's another one he's got a weird obsession with that he insists on having on the pitch all the time, despite the fact he's 4 out of 10 most weeks. Now, last season might be a a difference for him. He might have been 6 out of 10 most weeks. But he's one of those players that just flatters to deceive all the time. He offers nothing other than he's big and he's strong and he runs fast. And when that doesn't work, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't offer anything. But to bring him on, that's a cowardly decision by Mourinho. That's what that is. It's a coward's decision. You've got Eric Lamella on your bench. You've got Steven Bergwijn on your bench. And you've got Tanguy Endembele on your bench. And you, you reach for Sissoko. What car will I bring to work today? Will I bring my Ferrari, my McLaren, my Porsche? No, no, no. I think I'll bring my 1992 Toyota Land Cruiser. That's the decision he made. And I don't understand what he was thinking. I really, really don't understand what he was thinking. He brings on Bergvine a little bit later. He looks like he can do something... He brings on Endembele, and within five minutes he plays the two best passes of the game. Within five minutes he looked like the most creative player on the pitch, other than a certain James Rodriguez, who I'll get to. But Spurs, that is not acceptable. That performance is not acceptable at all, and we are going to have to start asking questions of Jose if those performances keep up. If that's going to be what Spurs are going to be, that's not going to work then. That will not work. Um, He needs to get over the obsession with with Dyer. Davinson Sanchez should have been in the team. Simple as that. And Davinson needs to play on the right of the centre-back pairing because Doherty can't defend. You're going to need someone a little bit quicker. If not Davinson, then Tanganga needs to be in the team. You need someone quicker who's going to be able to cover out from. Toby can't do it. That loose ball from Ben Davies that led to the opportunity for Richarlison when he rounded the keeper and skied it. There's no excuse for Toby losing a foot race. That's a 20-yard foot race that he had about an 8-yard head start in. And he lost that race by about two yards. And then fell over. And looked like an old man. For Everton, they should be really pleased with their afternoons work. Really, really pleased. They gave up two good chances. But aside from that, the defensive shape was good. Um, I thought Michael Keane had a good game. Yerry Mina was was very good. Um Dina, that the cross for the goal is is ridiculous. But he had a very good game. Other than that, he is he's top one of the top two or three or four left backs in the league. Maybe top two after Trent or after Trent, after Robert uh, Robertson. Maybe he's very good going forward. He's got great delivery. He really does. The whip and dip he can get in his crosses is 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 unusual. Um, I thought the midfield functioned. Pretty well, but not ideal. I thought Spurs made it easy on them. I thought Spurs were very laborious in midfield. Um, I, I think Heuberg and Winks is, is too much of the same. I think you need a bit of dynamism. Like, if if he'd wanted to play Sissoko, the way to play him was to start him instead of Winks and get at least a bit of dynamism from midfield rather than Heusberg and Winks, who are basically going to do the same thing for you. Neither of them are quick. Neither of them are dynamic. Heusberg and, and, and Dembele has to start the next game. Has to be the starting pair in the next game. Um, but the, the Everton midfield functioned pretty well. I, I thought Gomes was, was poor. I thought he was slow and ponderous. Didn't like the idea of bringing on Gilfie for him either, let me say. Um, but Alan was was brilliant. He was he settled in straight away. DeCouri had one of his good games and the TV was on, so like the, the TV cameras were on, so that's when he plays well. If he keeps that up, he'll be a good signing for them. If he if he could play like that twenty-five times a season, he wouldn't have been at Watford as long as he was. Um the problem is he, he generally has six to eight of those a season. Six to eight, you know, 80% of that. And then the rest of the time, he's just flat-out poor. Um, But if he keeps that up, he'll prove a good signing. Um, I'll be interested to see what they do in midfield when they have everybody sort of fit and ready. Iwobi, I would think, will come into that team for Gomes. Although there is talk that Iwobi could be on his way out. However much truth there is to it. I thought the front three functioned really well. I thought Hamas looked really, really good. I thought he looked fit. He looked fresh. He looked like he had the bit between his teeth. Some wonderful passing. Really, really wonderful passing. The weight, the vision, the timing of the pass. He's, he's a great player. So much talent just needs to prove it consistently. If he can do that, Everton are going to be a problem for teams. Uh, Richarlison was the best player on the pitch. There's just nothing more to say about him. I thought Calvert-Lewin, I think the goal hid some flaws in his performance, if I'm being honest. I think his movement's a little bit rudimentary. I think sometimes he gets a little bit too involved in the physical tussle and doesn't play his own game. And he is big and strong and, and aggressive, but... I think there's more to him, and I think he's, more, he's of more benefit to Everton when he's spinning in behind than when he's trying to go mano-a-mano mano with a centre-back. Now, the goal is, is a great goal. Um, it's a, a great leap, a brilliant header, brilliantly placed. It's something he's, you know, he is one of the best in the league at headed goals. I would ask massive questions about what Eric Dyer was doing. He didn't even jump. Alderweirel didn't jump. Literally, nobody bothered to contest that aerial ball, um, which is a concern. But Calvert-Lewin deserves great credit for the goal. Dina deserves great credit for the cross. And Everton deserved great credit for the win. They were good value for that win. They really were. They were the better team. And it, it gets the um, it gets that kind of curse that they've had Lingering over them where they hadn't won away to the top, any of the top six in like seven years. And before that, under Moyes, they never, never won away to the big four. So it's good for them to get a start like this. Things are going to get tougher, though. Not every team will turn up and play like Spurs. But it's a really, really confidence-boosting start of the season for Everton. And they should be really happy with how it turned out. A couple of things before we go. Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden got sent home from the England squad for breaking COVID protocols is what we'll call it. And that's fine. They've both come out and apologised, and that's fine. We should just be moving on. But then a certain newspaper digs up, I think it's a Snapchat, from two or three years ago of Mason Greenwood inhaling laughing gas or nitrous oxide and makes a big fuss of it. And Greenwood's had to come out and apologise again. Now, if this happens under Alex Ferguson, Ferguson is is out in in the media and he is absolutely reading the Riot Act to all journalists and editors involved in the publication of that story. He is probably getting United's legal team to look into any and all ways that they they can file a suit against that newspaper. I haven't heard a word from Oli Gunnar Solskjaer about it. Not a word. Your 18-year-old striker is being ragdolled by the media, and I haven't heard a word from you. Steve Bruce's 26-year-old winger, who just got criticised for doing things that he did, football-related things that he did, and Steve Bruce is on the radio defending him, Mason Greenwood was 15 or 16 when that video was taken. So first of all, the media are highlighting a child. and The manager's nowhere to be seen. It's disappointing from the manager. It's a disgrace from the media outlet. It's a disgrace. And we've seen in recent years what's happened to other young players like Raheem Sterling who are continually picked on and badgered by certain aspects of the British media. We've seen the impact that's had on them and we've seen the impact it's had on the idiots in the crowd who think well the media has a pop at them so I can have a pop at them and I'll just say whatever I want because that's cool now. You're going to do the same thing to Mason Greenwood. He was 15 or 16 when that video took place. It's completely irrelevant to his life right now. This is a young man who could be the future of your national team. He should be embraced. Instead, he's tarnished. Did he do wrong? Absolutely. He's 15 or 16. It's not relevant to him now. He wasn't a professional footballer at the time. He was a kid doing what kids do. If you think your kids don't do it, you're lying to yourself. I don't know what it is about the British media that they feel the need to tear down young players like this. I don't know what it is. What enjoyment do you get out of it? Is it just for the clickbait? Because if it's just for the clickbait, just make up transfer rumours. That's all you need to do. Just make up some transfer rumours. Everyone else does it. There's a guy on Twitter with 1.7 million followers from making up transfer rumours. You could do that. You don't need to go trawling through this young guy's past. I'd like to know how you got access to the video as well. But you don't need to go trolling through the past to try and pick up every little mistake that some kid has made. Because you wouldn't like it if it happened to you. Oli, get off your arse and say something about it. Come out and defend your player. Don't leave him twisting in the wind the way Raheem Sterling was left twisting in the wind. That's me for today. That's the show. Thank you very much for listening. I'm back tomorrow. I'm back Wednesday. I'm here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitresses. See you next time. Network.